0: Welcome to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to The Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Conan. Later on in the show we're going to look at climate change. I'll also bring on WMNF reporter and anchor McKenna Schuler, so I hope you stay tuned for all of that. My first guest today will talk about the recent special legislative session on homeowners insurance and other state issues. My guest is Orlando area state representative Anna Escamani. Welcome back to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Representative Escamani.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me, Sean. It's great to be here.
0: I'm really glad you could join us. And we're going to get to some other state issues later in the interview, but I really want to focus first on Florida's new property insurance law. It sailed through both chambers during last week's special session and it was quickly signed by Governor Ron DeSantis. One component of the law is a $1 billion reinsurance fund. So how would that reinsurance fund work and how how is it paid for?
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. I mean, part of the opposition to this reform package, with the air quotes for our listeners, is that uh, it does not guarantee any relief to Florida families in the immediate, let alone potentially ever. Um, This really was a a package designed for the insurance industry, um, not necessarily the best interest of consumers. And not only does it strip away consumer rights to challenge insurance companies when they don't pay out a, a claim, but as you've noted, it's essentially a, a publicly funded bailout for insurance companies. Um, it, it's it's hard to uh, guarantee that the, the publicly funded reinsurance option, which is essentially you know, what this is, it's, it's money going towards um, a, a, an, a, an option for private insurance companies to purchase reinsurance that's publicly funded versus Uh, One that is private with the intention that savings acquired through that option will be passed down to consumers. But again, there really is no indication that's going to happen. And so, though the public is paying for this uh, reinsurance option, um, uh, there was no guarantee in any staff analysis or by any lawmaker that those savings would actually be felt by the consumer. It might be felt by the insurance company and their executives, but not by the consumer.
0: And what they're hoping is that if the insurance companies save money by the, getting this publicly funded reinsurance, eventually they might pass some of that savings down to consumers.
1: Right. I mean, it's, it's trickle down economics, which we know time and time again does not actually work. And it's frustrating because insurance companies have made millions, if not billions um, in their practice of denying claims. And where I am in Orlando, we have claims from a 2020 tornado that randomly hit our town. That still have not been paid out in full. And of course, in all the coastal communities, it is even worse. People are being dropped by their insurance providers. My dad was dropped last year. and 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 this package, this reform package, um, really doesn't guarantee a lot of accountability with the insurance industry. In fact, one of the changes it also makes is it, It decreases the amount of time that you, a consumer, have to file a claim while um, also providing a carve out for insurance companies in the case of a hurricane where they can extend their time. And so, again, there's just so many changes that are really much designed to benefit the industry versus the consumer.
0: Our guest is Orlando Area State Representative Ana Escamani. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, and this is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Another thing that will benefit the insurance companies in this bill is something called one-way attorney fees are going away. So, um, you know, that... If To someone who may have never heard of this before, that sounds great, that there's going to be a, this cost savings of one-way attorney fees. But I heard a lot of people in your caucus talking about how that's bad for consumers. Why is that bad for consumers?
1: It's very bad for consumers. So if those don't know what a one-way attorney fee is, um, it, it's basically uh, the the ability that if if you file a large company, in this case insurance companies, and you win your case— that the insurance company also covers the cost of your attorney fees. And the entire point of this structure is to open up access to the courts for everyday people who might not have the means to hire an attorney. And it was a 1999 uh, Florida State Supreme Court case with State Farm that, that really helped shine a light on why one-way attorney fees exist, which they've been in, in place in Florida for more than 100 years. And in this, in this Supreme Court case, to make a long story short... Um, a South Florida woman was hit by a car while walking and she suffered injuries from that and had to go to the hospital. She filed a claim with the driver's insurance company, State Farm, to cover her medical expenses and State Farm said no. And so she went to court and she was only able to go to court because of one-way attorney fees. And sure enough, State Farm was in the wrong and her medical bills were paid for. And what's important to note about one-way attorney fees is that a lawyer does not take up your case unless they think you can win. So there really is a, a balancing act here because, again, if 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 an attorney does not think that they'll be paid um, by this claim by this lawsuit, they're not going to pursue it. And the concern from the from the insurance industry is that there's fraud that one way attorney fees incentivize fraud, incentivizes people to um, have frivolous lawsuits, which. I'm not going to deny that there's fraud. There's fraud in every industry, in every situation. But the complete elimination of attorney fees is an extreme response to cases of fraud. And it does strip away access to the courts for everyday people, especially those who are of low wealth, who at this point, if an insurance company denies their claim, which is very likely, their options to seek any type of uh, justice in a court of law is close to zero. And that's probably one of the most damaging components of this bill of now law is the inability for everyday Floridians who don't have the means to hire an attorney to now be able to go to court.
0: And on that related note of if you think that your insurance company is giving you the runaround and you want to take them to court, there's another aspect of this new law that makes it more difficult or even impossible for some people to. And that's uh, agree, if you agree to take your case to binding arbitration, you'll get a break on your insurance premium. So that sounds fantastic. I want to save money on my insurance premium. I'll just agree to take binding arbitration. Is there a problem with that?
1: Yeah, there's a huge problem with that. I mean, and, and my colleagues who are attorneys really highlighted this on the House floor and in committee because – Even just the process of binding arbitration is incredibly expensive and complicated. Um, It can cost anywhere from $5,000, if not more. And so, again, all the reforms in this package were intentionally one sided to support an industry that has made uh, huge profits off the backs of Floridians in denying claims in in paying huge bonuses and salaries to their executives and and their c-suite officers and meanwhile floridians are getting dropped and so this is another shift that not only forces consumers to go into a uh, into a uh, you know an arbitration space where there might necessarily be in the advantage but then if you can't afford to hire an attorney to navigate that process then you're pretty much out of luck. And so it is, it is another example of how one-sided this entire policy proposal is and, and, and now is the law.
0: And it may be the case where you are a Florida homeowner, perhaps you've lived your whole life in Florida and you've had this insurance company in, this, on your home in Florida. And if you agree to binding arbitration, that arbitration might happen in a different state and you have to go there.
1: Absolutely. And we've already seen these situations. Actually, we have attorneys in Florida who are having to learn New York law or Delaware law because that's where the arbitration is going. And so that is such a great point. And again, insurance companies are going to take whatever steps they can uh, to avoid paying you and to lock you out of the courts. And what really concerns me is that this is just one example of property insurance. There is, at this point, nothing to stop the Republican Party from going after the ability to file claims in the situation of health insurance or auto insurance. I mean, if they were successful in stripping away access to the courts in the case of property insurance, you know the Florida Chamber and other big business associations are eyeing tort changes in every field. And so it it really is unsettling. I mean, of course in the immediate it's it's upsetting for homeowners and renters because we're not going to see immediate relief when it comes to property insurance. But in the context of just the macro concerns this is going to be a trend in every sector that should be alarming for consumers across the state.
0: Our guest is Orlando area state representative Anna Escamani and you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa St. Petersburg. I'm Sean Canaan and this is the WMNF Tuesday Cafe. Another part of the insurance bill that passed last week and became law when it was signed by Governor DeSantis last week is that it, it takes action to limit the number or reduce the number of customers of citizens' property insurance. So how does this new law do that?
1: Well, I'm so glad we're talking about citizens because this was probably one of the most concerning parts of the bill when it comes to direct impact because the elimination of one-way attorney fees it's not retroactive. So, hypothetically, those who are impacted by hurricanes Ian and Nicole um, should hopefully still be able to uh, uh, pursue a claim. And and if if that claim is on is unpaid or denied, have the ability to still access the courts. The changes is citizens are are immediate and essentially will force citizen customers to either have the rate go up by upwards of 20% or get forced into a private insurance plan that is upwards of 20% more expensive. Um, citizen uh, customers are also going to be forced to purchase flood insurance, um, even if they don't live in an area or maybe they live in a condo where they don't need flood insurance, they'll be forced to purchase flood insurance. And and the entire goal of this policy, of this, of this now law is to depopulate citizens, but at the cost of the consumer. And I, and I think there's a fair argument to be made that, you know, citizens, which is supposed to be the insurer of last resort has become the insurer of only resort. And, and depopulation is, is trying to make the private market you have more customers again. But the fact that we're doing that in the legislature by forcing citizen customers to pay more or be kicked off citizens to pay more in a private market, it's sick and you're forcing Floridians into an unstable market to benefit the for-profit companies it's it's bad policy and it's not something we should be doing when the market is incredibly unstable and I asked the chair uh, you know of this committee that sponsored this bill um, you know what's going to be the immediate result you know for uh, our our citizen cons- customers and consumers and and they were so um, you know um uh avoiding that question because they know that the reality is that you're going to get a renewal notice and it's going to be either 20 percent higher or push the private sector with a 20 percent higher and I, I don't know about you but i thought the entire point of this special session was to reduce costs not make things more expensive for floridians
0: our guest is Orlando Area State Representative Ana Escamani, and we're talking about the new law in Florida after last week's special session of the legislature that makes big changes to the property insurance market. One of the things that it does is it forbids assignment of benefits, AOB, for property insurance claims. What impact will that have?
1: So AOB is, I think, is an area where Republicans and Democrats definitely have shared concerns because of its potential fraud. Um, This is the environment where, for example, a storm comes through and you have at your door roofers or other types of um, um, sellers essentially trying to uh, um, solicit your business. And so they'll they'll come. They'll say, "Hey, a storm came through here. You know, I, we can help fix your roof. Um, your insurance company will pay for it if you sign this assignment benefits agreement, which basically says you're going to allow this third party to negotiate with your insurance company and um, and get the roof fixed with the insurance company paying for it." But there are situations of fraud where the the contractor works with an attorney, and they basically are going to take that insurance company to court and uh, potentially you know, litigate this to the point where um, I, the, uh, the, the, fr- the frivolousness of the lawsuit becomes pretty clear, where you didn't actually have a claim based on the insurance company contract you have. So you're basically signing away the rights to your contract to a third party to negotiate your behalf. And there's pros to this too. I mean, if you're not someone who has the time or the knowledge or... Um, the expertise, negotiate with your insurance company, then you might want to have an AOB and give someone permission to do it on your behalf. But there are cases of fraud that take place in the AOB marketplace. But uh, completely eliminating AOB, again, it's another attempt to make it harder for consumers to seek payment from the insurance company because some consumers might have a trusted individual or a trusted actor to go towards to negotiate on their behalf. Um, and so the complete elimination of it, it it goes way beyond the issue of fraud because now not only are you eliminating uh, you know legitimate claims that someone might have through AOB uh, but you're also just taking away another tool that someone can lean on um, when they do find themselves in a crisis situation. So. I think you I think there there were good AOB reforms passed previously where we saw a reduction in lawsuits by 30% uh, but unfortunately the complete stripping away of AOBs it, it does set another precedent that you the consumer have less options and less rights uh, to negotiate and challenge your insurance provider
0: before we move on from insurance, is there anything else about last week's special session when it comes to insurance that uh, our listeners should know about before we talk about things like toll uh, toll relief and, and so forth?
1: Well, there was a pretty clear reason why Governor DeSantis wanted this special session to be hosted after the election and why he signed this insurance bill alongside the disaster relief package. Because even Governor DeSantis knows that this is not a popular proposal, that this is a big giveaway to insurance companies, their executives, their shareholders. Um, and so even he knows that th- this was not a popular package to pursue. And so I, I think it's important for consumers to speak out, contact your state lawmakers on this and, and we have to keep fighting for reductions. So we have regular session that will start in March, we cannot ignore this issue, and so we have to keep pushing for consumer centric solutions not industry focused ones
0: and there were some other there were some amendments that you and your fellow Democrats were bringing up on the floor of the House for example, and they kept repeatedly getting shot down by the Republicans. What were some of the solutions that that you suggested?
1: well I, I appreciate that question I mean not only did we have amendments to try to mitigate the concerns in this bill, but we filed our own property insurance bill. Um, House Bill 9A was the democratic proposal for property insurance reform. And it was ruled out of order in special session. So, I don't want anyone out there to think that as Democrats, we're just complaining and we're not offering solutions. We literally filed our own proposal to be considered, and it was just shot down without any consideration. And amendments were the same. We filed multiple amendments in committee and on the House floor um, to put caps, temporary caps on premiums. Um, I filed an amendment to prohibit executives from receiving bonuses or salary increases if they increased premiums that was also voted down by Republicans. And so the reality of a of a supermajority structure is that it's, it's one party control. And it's been like that in Florida for 20 some years now. And it's only going to get worse. Um, and so we're we're continuously pushing for consumer rights and you know, putting our proposals out there, but it's incredibly frustrating that even when we do that and want to have legitimate policy debates and conversations, those ideas are shot down without even a consideration or thought.
0: Another thing that got passed last week and became law is this break on tolls for people who drive a lot on toll roads. Uh, What are your thoughts on, on that one component?
1: So, the special session included three bills in totality, um, and that is the property insurance bill, this toll relief bill, and alongside um, a, a larger disaster relief tax package. Um, and so, this toll relief program—you know—much of this is being paid for by dollars in the American Rescue Plan. You know, Florida has a huge budget surplus thanks to federal support, and so this program is going to cost about half a billion dollars. And basically, starting January 1st through the entire year, any driver that has a transponder, so you have to have a transponder to benefit from this, who has 35 or more paid transactions per month, uh, will basically receive a 30% toll credit at the end of that month. Um, And so for those who don't have transponders but do drive um, this much, really do encourage you to consider getting a transponder because you won't be able to tap into this benefit unless you do. Um, i also add that as Democrats, we try to prohibit any of this public money from being used for advertisement of elected officials. Um, Very concerned that Governor DeSantis will continue to use public money to boost his own name. And uh, the Florida Department of Transportation estimated this program what actually cost about $450 million and yet half a billion was allocated. So we are concerned that that additional 50 mil could be used for self-promotion, if you will. Uh, but of course, though we tried that amendment in committee on the House floor, it was denied both times.
0: And that I found that interesting because of how big of a stink it was that a f- couple of years ago when Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed put her photo on essentially on uh, department uh, stickers that would go on gas pumps. It was a huge scandal, it seemed, and then the the Republicans this year essentially had the chance to forbid or outlaw it in, when it comes to uh, Governor DeSantis getting publicity on the toll roads, but uh, they, they just said, nah, well, we won't worry about that.
1: It is a constant ideology of convenience where my Republican colleagues will preach one thing and then do something else. Um, As we see with reproductive rights and issues of choice, you know, they want to be pro-choice when it comes to vaccines and mandates, but um, don't want women to have a choice when it comes to our bodily autonomy. And this situation is no different. Um, They don't want Democrats to advertise with public money, but they will totally allow themselves to do that. So, will continue to you know, hold them accountable to um, these uh, uh, so-called values that they hold. But obviously the irony is palpable and uh, it's incredibly frustrating um, you know, simply because they can. They operate however they wish to with no foundational uh, direction based upon um, uh, what actions we've seen from them.
0: Our guest is Orlando Area State Representative Anna Eskamani, a Democrat in the House of Representatives in Tallahassee. And you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Conan, and this is 88.5 FM in the St. Petersburg, Clearwater, Tampa, Lakeland, Sarasota area. You mentioned... Um, this- choice and abortion rights last month, state Senate president Kathleen Pasadomo said lawmakers will wait to make any abortion changes until after the Florida Supreme court acts on a challenge to a new state law that prevents abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. She said she wants exceptions for rape and incest. So is it likely that Republicans will support a shorter window for legal abortions? Maybe perhaps with these exceptions.
1: I, I I feel pretty confident that we're going to see a much more extreme ban in Florida. Um, you know, the Senate president has a mixed history on abortion issues in Florida. She's actually once much more moderate, but as we saw during the previous legislative session, despite her initial opposition to an abortion ban without exceptions, she supported an abortion ban without exception. So, candidly, I I don't really feel confident that the Florida Senate is going to hold the line on abortion issues. And uh, a 12-week abortion ban is still an abortion ban. And whether it happens now or next session, uh, the Florida legislature will pursue an all-out abortion ban. I'm already hearing rumors that there will be a special session in January to ban abortion, and so we need every Floridian to be ready to fight back. Uh, we're actually already hosting on January 2nd, a virtual event uh, to talk about the state of abortion in Florida. Um, there'll be national rallies on January 22nd, which would have been the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And so um, we should be preparing for a six week abortion ban. And if not worse, um, I, I don't see Governor Ron DeSantis signing uh Um, another version because he's running for president against Trump. And if you're doing that, uh, you need to appeal to your conservative base where President Trump can claim credit for the Dobbs decision. DeSantis at this point doesn't have that type of anti-abortion track record. So he needs to build it. And unfortunately, that's at the cost to Floridians and our bodily autonomy and freedom um, um, via the state legislature.
0: What can you tell people about this January 2nd event? Is it something that's online or?
1: Yes. Uh, so we're uh, hosting a virtual event. You can find it um, on our on our website and our Facebook page. And that's facebook.com slash Anna for Florida, two ends all spelled out um if you go to our events tab we're basically hosting a, a virtual workshop to talk about the state of abortion in the country and in florida and what you can do um to get plugged in to take action so that's at six o'clock eastern time on january 2nd online we'll also stream it on our facebook page but we do encourage folks rcp and um do expect uh statewide rallies on january 22nd that's sunday
0: our guest is Ana Escamani a state representative from the Orlando area, and you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. Um, representative Ana Eskamani, there's been well-documented problems with Florida's unemployment website where people apply for benefits. So remind people what caused that and whether there are still problems that exist with that website. Mm-hmm.
1: The unemployment website and system continues to be criminally broken, Um, and there hasn't been a lot of news attention on it compared to in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, but candidly, for our office here in district 42, it's deja vu. Um, we are actually receiving phone calls, and emails from claimants that we helped over a year ago, um, coming back to us because they have issues with their claim. Um, a, a lot of Floridians are getting notices saying that they were overpaid during the pandemic and they're being asked to appeal, uh, which is a huge burden. And also again, Ironic because over a year ago it was announced by Do that they would not be going after these these uh, supposed overpayments, and I, I I say that again with air quotes because the problem with these overpayments is that Do basically qualified this person to receive benefits and potentially pay them incorrectly, and that's not the the Floridian's fault. That's the agency's fault for giving them permission in the first place. And so now Floridians are being asked to pay back you know, X number of dollars that they've already spent on essential services and, and goods. Um, and so that'll, that, that is creating huge, huge tension and stress for Floridians. And then you also have folks who are impacted by Hurricanes Ian and Nicole who are applying for disaster unemployment assistance, but being told that their claim is on hold because of an issue from the pandemic and they cannot talk to a human. There is no customer service And while these systematic problems have persisted, I want to be clear that the benefits themselves are still incredibly low. You know, for those who've never tapped into unemployment in Florida, please realize that no matter how much money you make right now, you will only receive a maximum of $275 a week if you qualify for the max. And that's only available anywhere from, you know, right now, 12 weeks, um, because despite the national average being 23 weeks, Florida operates on a sliding scale. And so our unemployment system is built to be cheap. And despite the fact that we gave big businesses a huge tax break a year ago with their unemployment compensation programs, Floridians have seen no benefits from that whatsoever.
0: Moving on to uh, uh, gun control, I suppose. Last week, Governor Ron DeSantis said he supports and he expects the state legislature will pass what some people call constitutional carry. That means people in Florida would not need a license to carry concealed weapons. How has that played out in other states?
1: It's incredibly problematic and unsettling. Uh, you know, permaless carry essentially means that you don't have to have any type of training um, to, get a, uh, to, to get a firearm. There's no more concealed weapons permit required. And at the same time, um, if you tie that to open carry, then you can essentially expose your weapon wherever you are. And when it comes to situations of mass shootings um, or even just you know, uh, um, community-based violence, it can be very difficult for law enforcement to identify um, who the perpetrator is when guns are all readily exposed. Um, you also have situations of friendly fire, um, situations of vigilante uh, uh, defense, which, um, you know, case by case, sometimes um, there, there is a positive result from that, but in most cases there's not. Um, and you have children who are playing with guns that are not being locked away responsibly, Hurting themselves or killing themselves and others. Um, you also have situations of um, you know alcohol being mixed with firearms, whether it's on uh, college campuses or sporting events, and and of course stolen guns are continued to be um, a problem in our state with very little oversight or ability to track that. So we're moving in the opposite direction. You know, I, I think that Floridians overwhelmingly agree. That there are common sense solutions to gun safety that are that are not partisan. Um, they don't take away a person's rights to own a firearm, but set protections so that uh, we can support responsible gun ownership while keeping our communities and our kids and all of our environments safe. And it, it's incredibly alarming that we're moving this opposite direction. But again, you know, Governor DeSantis um, made this commitment that he would passed permalist carry before he left the governor's office. And so unfortunately, no one should be surprised by this. But uh, we need to be ready. Uh, if you are someone who is a responsible gun owner, that poses these policies, we need to hear from you. Because I, I do think it's going to be the voice of responsible gun owners alongside, you know, moms and parents who have kids who are worried about their child safety. It's going to be the voices of folks who are uh, most at risk and also have um, most knowledge on ownership. They're going to carry the most weight when it comes to this issue.
0: Our guest is State Representative Ana Escamani, and I promise to let you go at 1035. Do you have time for like two <laughs> or three more questions? Or do you need sure, to
1: I'll grab a few more, absolutely. All
0: right, sounds great. Well, Clay is wants to know if this new insurance law can be challenged.
1: Great question. Um I would not be surprised if parts of it were litigated. You know, I'm not an attorney, so I can't speak to the, the, you know, all the details on that. But I will say that Florida has a very conservative state Supreme Court now and very conservative appellate courts because DeSantis has made these appointments. So um, I have no doubt that there are folks who are much more uh, keen on what a litigation could look like that are involved in those conversations but I also you know, express caution because the courts are so conservative right now.
0: All right. Moving on to education, um, how is Florida's new parental rights in education law working? Some opponents call it don't say gay. How, how is that? What does that look like on the ground in schools?
1: Well, here's another moment of irony, because when we were fighting against this bill in the Florida legislature last session, we were told by Republicans to read the bill. Read the bill because the concerns that we were we were expressing, they claimed were not in the bill. Fast forward, to the bill being signed into law and now being implemented, and every concern that we expressed has come to reality. And now it's my turn to tell Republicans to read the bill because they 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 proclaim that that uh, censoring LGBTQ plus individuals would not happen. They proclaimed that. Um, pride history being eliminated from high school when it happened. They said that safe spaces and GSAs, gay straight alliances, could still operate. And yet we've seen the complete opposite. You know, we've seen school districts uh, had to uh, uh, not only erase LGBTQ plus identity, whether it's from textbooks or from classroom settings, we've seen um, rainbows uh, be, be um, uh, canceled in different classroom settings. We see educators uh, worried to have a photo of their loved one if they're a same-sex couple. And we've even seen school districts not even put out proclamations to recognize Pride Month. I mean, it is, it is moving us backwards in time um, purely based upon a, a, a fear and, a, uh, and, and, and tropes about LGBTQ plus people. And I'm very concerned about the safety of our children Suicide rates are way too high for uh, all of our young people, but they're four times higher for LGBTQ plus youth. And, you know, it, it is a small but vocal minority that is pushing this dangerous agenda. And it's not only is it just creating so much unnecessary tension within our schools and pushing kids back to the closet, but it's also not addressing the actual problems we have in education. Like we have... A huge exodus of teachers right now. Teachers are severely underpaid and overworked, and and the politicization of education is all part of a larger scheme to defund public education and to push people towards private schools that are for profit and lack all accountability, and and so it's it's incredibly frustrating. Um, it is still being litigated, you know, in the federal court, but um, um, it just speaks to how dangerous legislating culture wars is I and mean, this is one example of many but again you know we need parents to, to to speak up because uh it is a vocal minority that's setting the tone here and i know that especially in here in orange county and, and in counties across the state like we embrace diversity we, we, we see it as a, as a strength um but these policies are the complete opposite
0: and speaking of education, Senator Joe Gruters, who is a Sarasota Republican and also the chair of the Republican Party of Florida, filed a proposal yesterday that seeks partisan school board elections. Would you be on board with that?
1: No, I mean, again, I, I think every, every one of these bills is designed uh, to uh, try to eliminate diversity within our school boards and to push forward an agenda that politicizes institutions that should be nonpartisan. Um, now, I, again, I, it's naive of me to say that school board members are not partisan I mean, it's clear that they, they have become partisan, especially in their source of funding um, and, and the issues that, you know, school board members, especially on the right, try to define themselves by. But I do think that the motivation of the chairman of the Republican Party of Florida is not without bias. Like, he's only following this bill because in, in areas of the state that are, quote, more conservative, NPA candidates that are much more moderate have been able to win. And that includes the Sarasota County, even in parts of Brevard County. You know, we've seen more moderate individuals run for school board and win, because again, they're appealing to the majority of the electorate. Uh, But for uh, uh, individuals who are leaders within the Republican Party, they see that as a threat to their status quo. And remember, you know, it's also about bench building. I mean, there's always criticism that the Democratic Party doesn't build a bench. And some of these local races where they can be nonpartisan is an opportunity for a new fresh. Fresh face, moderate person um, to to build their build their trust with their constituents. And if you make these seats partisan, it just pushes people towards the extremes. And we don't need more extremes in Florida politics. We need folks that are willing to find common ground and to focus on on, on everyday needs, not these partisan fights. Um, so his his uh, motivation is, it's it's not genuine. It's clearly partisan, and we should absolutely oppose it.
0: What else do you anticipate coming up during the 2023 legislative session?
1: Well, um, I think you're going to see universal vouchers. Um, We're going to to see a complete push to um, uh, put public education at risk by uh, creating vouchers for everyone, um, allowing public dollars to go towards private schools that have no accountability metrics, um, I think housing affordability is going to be an issue uh, top of mind for me. Um, and we have to make sure that the solutions, again, are focused on on Floridians, not industry. In particular, I want to see strength for renters and renters' rights and make sure that we're not leaving renters behind in any housing conversation. But I, I, I do suspect that housing will be top and center of this legislative session. Um, I think you're going to see... Um, net metering again, so those don't remember, you know, Florida Power and Light um, went after uh, rooftop solar last session, and the bill was so unpopular that even the governor vetoed it, but now the governor doesn't have an election. I would suspect net metering would come back, and the governor might sign it into law this time. Uh, so every issue you can think of is going to be on deck. Um, uh, we also know that the speakers going after ESGs um, immigration, you know, the, the governor DeSantis just uh, rolled out the recommendations I'm using air quotes from one of his grand juries on immigration, which is they basically want to create a vigilante system to target undocumented people. Uh, we already are targeting undocumented children and trafficking asylum seekers, so you're going to see this, the governor go through more of those anti-immigrant proposals. Um, and then I think you might see some um, vaccine policy. You know, the governor announced another grand jury on COVID vaccine, so we we'll would not be surprised to see um, anti-public health measures go through the legislature. So it's it's going to be. Um, A very, very uh, difficult, you know, as a Democrat, a very difficult session, but one where we have to fight for our values and uh, and, 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 and bring more people with us to build efficacy and to build on-term political engagement.
0: And finally, I want to ask a question that doesn't have anything to do with Florida, but in Iran, there is a a huge women's movement going on. You're of Iranian background. What can you tell us uh, about your thoughts on the situation in Iran?
1: Well, I really appreciate this question um, because I not only am I of Iranian descent, but I have family in Iran. That I'm talking to constantly, and as I focus on issues in Florida, I'm watching what's happening in Iran, and I'm, I'm taking action to amplify the voices of the people of Iran. And this this revolution was led by women, and 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 has this foundation in the calls for Zan Zendigi Azadi, which translates to women, life, freedom. And it's so important for us to speak out in support of the people of Iran and their calls for regime change. Um, One of our most recent um, uh, successful campaigns was to remove the Islamic Republic from the United Nations Women's Commission, which just took place last week, and now we're continuously... Uh, pushing the United Nations to uh, investigate the human rights violations in Iran. Uh, those who protested are now uh, not only being incarcerated, but set to be executed. And so it, it really is um, so important that we not forget about what's happening in Iran and amplify the voices of those calling for freedom. And I, I do urge others to join me in that. And uh, to also stay tuned, you know, I do plan to file a resolution this session for Floridians to support people of Iran and um, have continued to work with the White House in in good faith uh, to make sure that there's uh, alignment on um, policies with the government of Iran and holding them accountable um, as we continue to support those who are um, in the streets risking their lives to do what's right.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Representative Eskamani.
1: Thanks so much for having me and happy holidays to everyone.
0: Thanks. I appreciate you coming on. State Representative Ana Escamani is a Democrat from the Orlando area. Before we get to our second guest in just a few minutes, we're going to talk briefly about the climate crisis. Leadership of the U.S. House is switching over to Republican control in January. That means that some committees that the Democrats created are dissolving. One of them is the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis, which was chaired by Tampa's Kathy Castor. Last week, they released their final report, and we'll hear some of the findings over the next couple of minutes from a press conference by a few members of the committee. So here is Congressmember Kathy Castor of Tampa.
2: Today, we're here to announce and release our capstone, Solving the Climate Crisis 2022 a majority staff report, our key accomplishments, and additional opportunities for climate action in future Congresses. Uh, Speaker Pelosi created our committee to develop the policies and build the coalitions to solve one of the most urgent crises facing our people and our communities. She She appointed the incredible leaders who are standing with me today. Uh, knowing that they would bring a deep sense of duty and unique perspectives to this fight. And we got right to work. We listened to the dire warnings from the world's top scientists. We channeled the passion of climate protest into meaningful action. We cast a wide net uh, uh, for fresh, innovative policy prescriptions. And all of that led to the landmark climate crisis action plan that charted a path forward to solve the climate crisis. That action plan is the roadmap Congress used to turn hundreds of climate solutions into law, solutions that are already creating good-paying jobs and helping to lower the cost of energy across America. They're positioning our workers to lead the global economy and bolster our domestic manufacturing. They're making communities more resilient to climate-fueled disasters, and they're bringing the benefits of the clean economy to environmental justice communities. We have so much to be proud of, but we have so much more to do. Uh, So it's disappointing that Republicans in Congress have decided to dismantle our climate committee because our work remains urgent climate disasters are inflicting billions in damages across the country, which is why House Democrats, under the leadership of the most uh, effective speaker in the history of the Congress, Nancy Pelosi, we use the power of our majority uh, to lower costs, to build safer communities, and unleash American innovation to solve the climate crisis. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure law to make communities more resilient, and electrify transportation. We passed the CHIPS Act to empower our industries to lead the clean energy in a, uh, transition. And we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the largest clean energy and climate investment in US history. And those new laws are just to name a few. Our workers now are racing to manufacture the batteries, technologies, and vehicles of the future. Families are ready to save money with cheap wind and solar and more efficient appliances. And our kids will reap the benefits of clean school buses, clean postal trucks, and more investments to reduce pollution. (coughs) Today's report outlines our victories. But it also highlights the places where Congress must continue to make progress. Above all, it reminds us that the fight for climate action must continue, guided by science, rooted in justice, and powered by American workers. I'm grateful to our members and our professional staff for answering the call to service. Ignoring the climate crisis is not an option. While the Climate Committee officially ends here at the end of the 117th Congress, our report and action plan will live on uh, as a roadmap map for, for you for further progress and democrats will keep guiding the way towards a clean energy economy and a healthy resilient just and stronger america
0: that's congress member kathy castor a democrat from tampa who was chair of the select committee on the climate crisis She was speaking during a news conference last week that announced their final climate report. The committee is disbanding as Republicans take over the House. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. This is Tuesday Cafe. And we end the show with our guest WMNF anchor and reporter McKenna Schuler. Welcome to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, McKenna. Hey,
3: Sean, how's it going?
0: It's going great. I'm really glad you could join us. Uh, For the last year or so, WMNF listeners have heard you anchoring the WMNF news headlines most afternoons, as well as your news stories about once a week. But at the end of this week, McKenna is going to take her talents to the Orlando Weekly. It'll be sad to see you go. You've done a great job for us, but we look forward to reading your work in Orlando Weekly in the future. Let's talk now about some of the great reports that you've done for WMNF. You've closely followed housing costs rent control and tenants rights. Tell us about that work that you've done.
3: Yeah, so housing, I feel, um, especially during the pandemic became an issue as far as affordability, not just for low income people, but for pretty much everybody across the board, unless you're exorbitantly wealthy. So it became an issue that I I felt like was essential to cover in some way. And I tried to find ways to, um, or gaps, I guess, of coverage that was missing on issues such as um, housing vouchers. I know publications like the Tampa Bay Times especially has covered sort of issues with that system in the past, but there hadn't been much recent coverage. So um, I tried to sort of dig into some issues that I felt like were undercovered, as well as issues that were covered by other outlets, such as the fight for rent control and other um, basic tenant protections. So Um, especially when it came to rent control or rent stabilization as it's sometimes called um, which is preempted by state law so that makes it more complicated in Florida and it has been heated at times in these city council meetings Um, there's been several reporters like Justin Garcia of Creative Loafing who's covered this and really trying to ensure that the community appeal for a cap on rent increases which is what rent control or rent stabilization refers to um, isn't lost simply because the average working person um, doesn't have time to attend or tune into city council meetings that start at like 9 a.m on weekdays so um, even though saint pete and tampa have shot down the idea of placing a cap on rent increases activists say that the fight's not over and they're continuing to advocate for other policies Um, Including that as well to level the playing field between tenants and landlords, like uh, guaranteeing legal counsel for renters facing risk of eviction and in St. Petersburg, there's activists pushing to develop housing that's city owned and permanently affordable, particularly for low and middle income earners who are being displaced by these massive rent hikes we've seen the last uh, couple of years.
0: I want to remind people that our guest is WNF anchor and reporter McKenna Schuler, who is at the end of the week going to move to the Orlando Weekly starting in the new year. You've also covered a lot of labor issues, especially the strikes and uh, the, the actions at Starbucks and at other organizations. So, tell us about your your interest and why you would, you're so um, adept at covering labor issues.
3: Adept is very kind. (laughs) Thank you. I always feel like I'm learning. But, um, yeah, no, that's an issue, a sort of area of coverage that I've, I, I never really, a few years ago, I wouldn't have ever really seen myself covering. Um, but I started covering labor a little bit and I just got really great feedback from people about how, like, it was an issue that just was not covered a lot by, um, whether it's mainstream media or local media. So, um, to, I mean, there's reporters that are dedicated to like business or um, maybe education. So there are some like great, you know, uh, reporters at the Tampa Bay Times, for instance, that cover like the teachers unions and stuff. But um, labor is another issue like housing that like it affects everybody. So, um, you know, just sort of um, increasing the information or awareness of the information that's available about labor unions, organized unions um, or organized labor that is as well as your labor rights, especially over the past couple of years, where again, you've seen just sort of this growth in labor activity and interest in union organizing. So my um, goal has been to kind of look for that coverage locally because sometimes you do see these uh, national stories, but there is a lot going on on a local level as well. So sort of being able to increase awareness in the community about what's going on with our local teachers, with our local nurses, um, our bus drivers, Uh, food service workers city employees um again just sort of trying to fill the gaps like i'm i'm i i'm not a learned journalist exactly in the sense that i never went to school for journalism i sort of kind of jumped into it um first at creative loafing but one of my goals from the start with reporting has always been to sort of identify undercovered issues or maybe gaps in media coverage that i can help to fill to sort of Make sure that there's stuff that's not falling between the cracks. And sometimes labor um, that can happen. And labor has been one of those issues that has, um, again, sort of, there's been an overlap with the housing issues too. So, like, part of the labor coverage that I've done is focusing on how a lot of our essential work including public school teachers are moving leaving the district um, because they can't afford to live here anymore on their current salaries and luckily with the teachers um at least they have sort of a union but most uh workers in florida aren't um unionized especially outside of the public sector so um being able to cover labor housing um All the coverage that I've been able to do for WMF really feels like a privilege and a learning experience for me and an opportunity to learn more about my community and hopefully be able to like, you know, do the same for others, increase awareness of what's going on locally in a way that's engaging and not just kind of dry or boring.
0: And our guest is WMNF anchor and reporter, McKenna Schuler. And we got a couple of emails. David says, I'm sorry to hear that you're leaving. Best wishes to you at Orlando Weekly. And from the area code 352, we get the message. We'll miss you, McKenna. Good luck in Orlando. So we certainly uh, are all thinking about that and thinking about how much we're going to miss you and uh, uh, thinking about that you, we can't wait to hear, to read your, uh, your stories in the Orlando weekly as we, we probably have a minute or so left, but let's talk about your coverage of police misconduct in the Tampa citizens review board of police misconduct.
3: Yes, that's a, an issue that, um, I started reporting on over at creative loafing a couple of years ago and I, and I wanted to follow through, uh, at WMNF as well. Um, with the citizens review board especially there actually has been movement on that for years advocates uh with the aclu for instance have been pushing for reforms to the citizens review board which oversees closed cases of police misconduct so there's not there's not a lot they can really do but they can make recommendations for the police department and the city Um, and it's a volunteer board And so one of the reforms that advocates have actually been looking or pushing for for several years actually will be on the ballot next March for the city of Tampa elections. And that's to have the city hire an independent attorney legal counsel for the citizens review board to just sort of ask about, you know, the various cases that they're overseeing. Whereas currently they have legal counsel from a city attorney, which advocates say that's a conflict of interest. So it's just a pretty basic reform that um, has is actually implemented in other municipalities in Florida. So it's not like super radical or anything. It's just um, something that's been done before and something that advocates think would um, sort of strengthen the board as is currently.
0: As we wrap up in the last few seconds, why don't you tell people if they're interested in following you, where can they find your you online on social media at the Orlando Weekly?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for asking. Um, If you want to continue following my work or to check in on whatever shenanigans I'm up to in Orlando, um, you can look out for my bylines on OrlandoWeekly.com. I'm going to be their staff reporter over there, or you can find me on Twitter at SheCarriesOn um i also will have the email set up uh m schuler my last name at orlandoweekly.com if you have news tips or recommendations for places to go to because i'm going to be moving to orlando and i've never really spent too much time over there so it's going to be a bit of a learning curve in a lot of respects but um i do want to say just lastly i appreciate every single person in the WMNF community who's made an effort to make me feel welcomed and appreciated here. And I I do hope we can all continue to sort of pay that kindness forward as we navigate whatever lies ahead.
0: Well, thank you so much, McKenna. Thanks for all the work you've done. And thanks for coming on the show. And I want to thank our phone screener, John Dunn. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Next Tuesday at 10, I have two topics. We'll hear about how seagrass is doing in Tampa Bay and why it matters. And next up is Janet and Tom Sherberger. Their guest is Manny Leto, executive director of Preserve the Berg. That's coming up after NPR headlines. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much.